Morning, everybody. Sorry, you guys are way back in the corner there. I'll try to. And you guys have the greatest view. It's a trash can. I'll explain that later. So uh, last week, I mentioned in here that, I, uh, that Claire and I had never used the china that she had been given uh, for our wedding, which was about a quarter of a century ago. And I, I don't exactly know why that is, but it's just what it is. And so we were, you know, we were laughing about that. And so that night, we had community group. Uh, our small group got together. And when we came in, the, uh, this is at the Duryea's house, by the way, uh, Heidi had set out all her fine china <laughs> for dinner. It's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> They're trying to rub it in. In the, uh, actually, then, I don't know if y'all know Steve Ryan, but Steve's kind of a crusty fella. And uh, so he had brought his copy of Toy Story 3, which I mentioned last week made me cry because of my son, and he had it playing in the TV. So the thing is, at least I know that they're listening. They're hearing something. Anyway, it was, uh, it was funny. Uh, but I will get them back publicly uh, at the right time. So we're uh, coming to the close of our series pretty soon uh, called, called Great Prayers. And we're looking at how some of the minor characters and major characters in the scripture talk to God to learn about what that looks like to us. Uh, and we've, I've, personally, I've learned a great deal through the, through the process. Today is a pretty special prayer. It's extremely brief, uh, and it's actually by a person that um, it will be hard to emulate, and that's Jesus. And the prayer is this. It's from Luke. Uh, he says this. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think almost everyone has probably heard that before. Uh, That's in Luke 23, if you want to turn there. But the main point that I want to make today, I guess, is twofold, really. So there's maybe two main points, two things we want to do. One of them is when we look at this, the story surrounding this prayer, what I, I want to do is Help us dig into the setting to see what exactly was happening and try to, to create a backdrop for the prayer to be spoken, for us to hear that. Uh, what was Jesus facing? What was, what was that really like? How, how much can we get in touch with the situation from which this prayer springs? And the second part of the, of the, the point, the thing that I'd like to drill down in today is um, how do we take the content of this prayer and the thing that was happening and make it extremely personal. This is a very applicable place for us. Um, So I want to encourage you as we go through this, um, I'm going to throw out some suggestions. In fact, you might be thinking, oh, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And everybody loves it when you go to the the church and they're going to talk about forgiveness because some of us are like, well, that's something I know there's a situation I can't forgive, so I can't go there. And so I'm just going to shut this off. I would tend to do that. That's not what I'm going to suggest as application. I'm not going to suggest that you pick the hardest person in your life to forgive and work on that while we are going through this this morning. That's not the point. But I think as we walk through and we look at, and we look at what this forgiveness means to us, it might, there will be places that you can jump off and say, okay, this is, a, this is something that I can take, a piece of the process of forgiveness that I can engage with with my God. So let me encourage you not to try to go to the end of extreme of forgiveness, but let's just see what Jesus did, kind of understand that setting, understand what was happening with him, at, at least at some level. And then let's find a place that we can, um, 
just be ready for when the right thing comes up for you to jump off and just spend time with God in that space, okay? In three points that we're going to look at, one is uh, appraise. We're going to appraise the situation that we're in. Two, we're going to appreciate forgiveness. We're going to look at what that thing is for us individually, and then we're going to talk about amends. We're going to talk about amends. So appraise, appreciate, and amend. So if you will, look at uh, Luke 23, and we're going to read uh, verse 26, and we're going to skip to 32 through 35. And as they led Jesus away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And then 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots for his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. So let's just talk about that setting for just a moment. I don't know uh, what kind of images that whole thing brings up for you, but I want to encourage you for the next few minutes to be thinking of what this image is. What did this really look like? This is one of the most poignant scenes, the walk of Jesus to the cross in all of human history. First, put yourself in in the magnitude of it. His walk to the cross is one of the most important things that ever, well, if not the most important thing that ever happened in human history, and one of the most tragic things. And I think... uh, for many of us, we've seen a movie or, you know, we, like if you're old enough in the church, you know, you have flannel graph, no offense. Um, yeah, yeah, I, we are the same age, so I guess maybe I shouldn't point, point at you. Um, there, there may be images that you have of what this looked like, but I'm going to ask you, maybe, maybe you blend all those together or try to strip them out and get there again just for a few minutes because we're, we're going to be like the people who are the voyeurs of tragedy on the side of the road, because this is a situation where Jesus has uh, been on a triumphant entry a, a week earlier, and now he's at the very, very bottom, the lowest, most painful possible way the Romans could put somebody to death. So this is something we're like intrigued by if we're watching, if we're standing alongside this road, this hill that Jesus is going up. But there are a couple aspects of this that are important. One is that there is physical suffering that Jesus is experiencing, and that's something we have to be sure of engaging with. Uh, you know, he's, as you know, he's been beaten. Uh, he's been uh, whipped until the flesh is all off, you know, this part of his body, which has got to look pretty gruesome, right? And then they put this crown of thorns on his head. And, you know, if you've ever cut your head or seen somebody, it's even worse when you see somebody who's cut their head. You know, it's just... Yes, ow. It's, it, it's, it's gruesome looking, right? And so this has been going on. He's been awake for a long time, so he's suffering. In fact, he's gotten to the point here where he cannot you know, physically move anymore at the pace that he needs to move. Uh, and then the, the, greater, the greater suffering by far, and if you're a believer in here, I think you may have some grasp of this, is that is the suffering that Jesus is about to engage on behalf of mankind. 
Okay, so physical suffering is one thing, but the suffering he's going to face, that the courage that he is having to come up with in order to engage this thing that is about to happen is monumental and is beyond anything that we can imagine. So that's the man that's on the street. And then he's also followed or somewhere around him are these other guys that are going to be crucified at the same time. Look at uh, 26 again. And they... As they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and laid the cross on him to carry it behind Jesus. Now, you got to, you know, Jesus is at the point where he's going so slow that the guards can't take it anymore. They're like, let's get this going. He's probably down on his hands and knees. This beam, you know, that's wider than his arms and pretty big is on his back. And that's got to be somewhat painful, right? Pretty gruesome. It's, it's pressing him down. He's down. He can't do anything. And they call this guy, this is uh, Simon of Cyrene. They, for some reason, John knows who he is. They must have connected later, but he was from North Africa. And so uh, he gets pulled out of the crowd. So you can imagine he's just watching, he's observing kind of like we are, and he gets pulled out. And now he's, it says he's behind Jesus. He's following Jesus up the hill. I mean, it, if any point this week you can put yourself in the place of this guy following Jesus and he's got this probably reused piece of wood on his shoulder, it's covered in blood, right? It dried blood in Jesus' blood and he's carrying it up the street behind Jesus and he's seeing all the people that he once was one of watching him and watching this whole horrible procession go up to the hill of Golgotha, the skull is what they call it, right? I think it's interesting to try to put yourself in Simon's place, to be pulled into that and see it like once you were watching it like TV and suddenly you're, like, you're in it. And then they nail him to the cross and put him up high and it gets worse. They got to the skull, they crucified him in verse 33 and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments underneath him, right? And the people just stood by watching And the powerful people just scoffed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. I mean, that's pretty ironic for the people he's giving the gift of salvation to, the gift of forgiveness, to say, say, let him save himself. It's an amazing moment in history for mankind, for the rejection that Jesus was feeling. So, you know, in a way, this is like the supreme humiliation I mean, there is no greater... All of us have been humiliated in some situation before. Our pride has been hurt or something. But this truly is, in some ways, the most supreme humiliation. The God of the universe is now between two common criminals being crucified by men who are mocking him, right? Do you get the extremities of this? This is as far apart as things can be. So I wonder, though... In some ways, it is the apex of injustice. It's, it's this thing that cannot be, you can't imagine that this is happening, that people are mocking him for the gift that he is giving by the, by the transference of his life, right? It's hard to get, that's humiliating. On the other hand, it is the most just thing. It is perfect justice. Forgiveness always comes with a cost. And somehow... Uh, complete forgiveness requires the perfect sacrifice. So I'm, I'm wondering if I can illustrate this uh, for you guys. Um, let's, let's do it this way. 
Let's say there are a couple of siblings. I'm going to get you as a sibling. And you, yeah, we know you're not perfect. Come here. (laughs) All right. Let's just say these two siblings love each other, right? But they both independently commit crimes that are worthy of being put to... Why don't you all separate a little bit here? Come on over here with me. And they both commit crimes that are worthy of being put in prison for the rest of their lives, okay? You guys can, act, you can do some acting like now. I don't know if you're actors, but oh God, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble now. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That's what you, that, yeah. Um, uh, so they both commit crimes that are worthy of being put in prison. They're convicted and it's, it's, the sentence is no parole the rest of your life. You will be in prison. Well, so at some point, one of them says, I love my sister so much. What if I go to the judge and say, judge, how about you, Holly? Maybe the judge, since we need one. (laughs) Comes to the judge and says, you know what? I had this great idea. What if I go to prison for both my sister and myself? Can I please do that? (laughs) And then the, well, I mean, think about it. He's been convicted of a crime that you cannot be paroled from, and so has she. So they're both in the wrong with the same punishment. So can one take the place of the other, or do both sentences have to be fulfilled? What do you think? Should both sentences be fulfilled? Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I probably should have, like, inf- there's no, yeah, there is a right answer to this, by the way. <laughs> So it would not make sense, and all of you see, it does not make sense for one person who's convicted of the same thing to take the place of the other person, right? Because the sentence has to be played out. Okay, judge, you can sit down just for a minute. So then we'll say that uh, they have a third sibling who uh, has not done anything that anybody knows about. Rachel, that can be you. Who says, I have an idea. I haven't committed any crimes. I'll go ahead and take her place. I'm going to take best place. Does the judge think that's okay? I haven't done anything. Does that make sense? Could you say, yeah, she's not been convicted of this. Could she take best place? But she couldn't if she was like the brother. Does it make sense? Because they both are under the same, uh, the same conviction, right? However, Beth can sit down because the judge says, yeah, all right, you could take. Is that, this is conceivable. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is conceivable. One could take the other place. Not if they were imperfect though. Right? Are you with me? Can another person come up here and take both of their places? I mean, as good as this guy might be and he is a good guy, can he take both of their places? No. What about the whole front row? Can he pay the penalty for the whole front row? No. Can he be good enough for that? I mean, one could be good enough for one, right? But can he be good enough for the front two rows? How about these creepy people behind me over here? (laughs) No. For the whole room. Could one guy take the place of all of us for the penalty that we are justly owed? Could it be done? The answer is no. Right. But Jesus... Because it's the ultimate justice is the only perfect replacement for all people. Thank you. Thank you. 
You're incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Good work, Rachel. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being there. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, uh, In him we have redemption through his blood, his life, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So yeah, it was unjust, but it was totally just. It was the only way it could work. It was the only way that, that we could be forgiven, that we could be made right. Only by Jesus. And that's why it's perfectly just because he had to be taken to the very bottom. The very bottom from the very top. Let me just uh, briefly define forgiveness as we're thinking through this. Forgiveness is completely removing all the consequences of a wrong done. Complete forgiveness. Completely removing the consequences of a wrong done. So now we have this setting this incredible injustice, which is at the same time just on behalf of all mankind, this horrible thing that's happening that Simon sees and just absolutely uh, is immersed in that situation. What is happening for us, y'all, is that we need to appraise, we need to get in touch with the place that we are. And that's, and that's where we're going to move now uh, to see when we look at that, what does that mean in terms of us appraising where we fit in this story? We need to, uh, when we appraise honestly who we are and where we are in our brokenness, what happens is that we uh, open the door for forgiveness to happen. So one of the first places you could jump off is just in the idea uh, of appraising your position before man, before God, and and that will start to put the paving down in order for forgiveness to happen in your life. Did you notice Jesus says, uh, he says, you know, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what this is. I mean, they were, they were doing what they were doing. They were fully in, in control of that. But he says they don't really realize what they're doing. So what I'm encouraging for us today is let's not be the people who don't know what they're doing. Okay? Let's not be the people who don't know what they are doing. Let's not know not. One of my friends, uh, we were at men's Bible study, we were looking at this passage on Thursday, and he said, uh, he's a theologian, a true theologian. He has a couple of degrees that's way beyond me. And he says, uh, he says we need to honest, this is, this is theological speak here, honestly calibrate our depravity. For those of you who like that stuff. We need to honestly calibrate our depravity. You know, it was uh, last year, like in July, I uh, had this accident where I broke my femur. And I remember laying there in the dirt on the side of the road, looking up at the lupines above me, which are only you know this big. And I'm thinking, man, this is bad. Something bad has happened. And I know that because I cannot get up. But I didn't know how bad it was. And the ambulance comes to get me, get to get me. And then when I'm going down the bumpy road, I become aware of really, yeah, this is super bad. Okay, I'm very aware. I'm like, I know I'm not pregnant and giving birth. But something is not, you know, this really, really hurts. So we get to the hospital, take some x-rays, and uh, Dr. Griggs uh, later comes in and says, well, what you have done, the truth about what you have done, and I, I thought maybe I just dislocated my, you know, uh, femur or something. He says, what you've done is you actually 
broken in half, taking the whole top of your femur off, you know, the ball of it, and it's broken off, right? I cannot fix that, right? I mean, I am, I am totally, absolutely broken. I can't get up. I can't go anywhere. The pain is just unbelievable. I, I am absolutely stuck. To, to appraise the place that we're in, we need to look at ourselves honestly. We need to say, okay, what is, where is it that I am broken? Uh, and this is where one of those words comes in that we don't use uh, that often in public, and that's the word sin. Okay, sin is a pretty churchy word. In brokenness, when it's in relationship with us and God, that's the words, that's what the Bible uses when the Bible uses the word sin, right? You know what? Sin is an awesome word because we don't like to use it. Because if you are a believer, you have come to the point where you have recognized, man, I am so broken. And what that is, that's called sin, okay? If you haven't gotten to that point where you really recognize, I am absolutely broken, then you're not ready to follow Jesus. There are a couple of cool passages here uh, that I want to read to you. First is First uh, John 1.10. If we say we haven't sinned, we make Jesus a liar and his word is not in us. It's a pretty powerful statement. In Romans 3.23, some of you all know this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. These two verses, like when you embrace them and own them and own them about yourself and I own it about myself, these are like the x-ray machine that says, yep, you're broken. The beautiful thing is, and and so many people take, oh yeah, oh, the church people, that guy at church, he said, I'm a sinner. Okay, I also said that somebody loved you enough to sacrifice for your brokenness, right? And take your place when it was impossible, So the first step in moving towards forgiveness and paving that road so that you can forgive is to see where am I really, to honestly look, what is broken with me? And just be honest about it. And that is the first step in the process. The Bible gives us that incredible MRI that is 1 John 1.10. Do not say that you have not sinned. You make Jesus a liar. Okay, then we need to come to the point where we appreciate or value what it is that he has done for each of us. This is your personal place of jumping off and saying, all right, now what I'm going to do now is think about how can I appreciate what Jesus has done? He's speaking to his uh, followers, in particular Peter, and Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive Jesus? The Bible says, the, the Hebrew scripture says, I need to forgive seven times. And Jesus says, well, that's pretty good, but 70 times seven would be better, and that's not enough. Okay, so he extends forgiveness to Jesus' level in a way. Look at Matthew 18. And this is, the, this is a parable that Jesus shares with uh, Peter and those guys that are standing there. And uh, I, want, I want you to hear it. He says, The kingdom of heaven, Peter, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed 10000 we'll call them $10,000. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. With his wife and children and all that he had, in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, so a few dollars. 
And seizing him, he began to choke him. And he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants seen what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What an incredible warning. And straight up, you must forgive. Forgiveness is absolutely critical for you, for us. But there's a paradox in that. I'm sure some of you, it leaped out to you. And he says, if you don't forgive, then you're not going to be forgiven, right? You probably noticed that. One of the things we need to understand about parables is when Jesus tells a parable, he's not trying to inform us from every aspect of the parable. There is always one point in the parable, and the rest doesn't always line up. It's a story to illustrate one thing. And from the whole scripture, we know that once we are forgiven, we are forgiven. When we look at the whole picture, but Jesus says, it is, here's what we can take away, the main point. You have been forgiven much. You have been forgiven much. I have been forgiven much. Forgive others evaluate what you have been forgiven. It was great. We need to forgive others. But the the first step is to understand what that great gift is that we have been given at the cost of Jesus' life. So once we appreciate what has been given, we have the opportunity to pass that forgiveness along to other people. So appraise, appreciate, and amend. And by amend, I mean confess. All, all, many of the prayers, not all the prayers that we've looked at, certainly, have had this component, confession. The writer will say, we as a people, or I myself, we have sinned against you, God. You are holy, and we have sinned against you. One of the greatest steps that you can take, this is another place where maybe this is where you are, to step into another, another level of preparedness for forgiveness and, and paving that road to where this can happen, is that we confess. I'm, I'm not saying that we go to get forgiven, but we, do you see the difference? We go to confess and we go to get forgiveness. They're different things. And I'm not talking about going to give forgiveness. I'm talking about confessing. So when we've evaluated who and where we are, it makes it a lot easier to then be in a position where we can actually confess. We know the realities of the situation. Um, there are a couple of kinds of confession that I want to point out here. One is like what we studied a couple weeks ago from Moses in Psalm 90. He says a few different things, but right in the middle of it, he says, our secret sins are before you. He said, we've sinned against you, God. This is the one kind of uh, amends that we need to make. One kind of confession is that we uh, speak that confession to God and we confess before God where we are. And what we have done. He says, Our se- you know everything, so I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to repeat it to you. And for some reason, this is important to the God of the universe. That's how important we are. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's another pretty critical verse. If we confess, confess. Moses says, I confess. Speak the words of who we really are. Say what's on the x-ray. And then the second one, there's, there's confession to our God, and then there's confession to one another, to another person, where confession is important. I had a, a good friend this last week t- tell me his story, and he was, uh, he had been, is an alcoholic, and he had hurt a lot of people. He had made a lot of people suffer, and it took him a long time to get to the point where he was willing to take the step of confessing and making amends with people. And listening to his story was so tragic, the way he was put in positions that led him to just exploit his addiction. It was almost like, oh, man, it's not even your fault. But what he did was he hurt lots of other people, and he had to go back and confess. And it doesn't mean he's going to be forgiven. He just had to confess, I know I hurt you. I know this is what I did. This is what it looked like. I hurt you. I confess. I'm sorry. He said the freedom of confession was unbelievable in his life. Unbelievable. The the way that took the weight off of his shoulders. Confessing is extremely powerful. The connection between people in relationships is critical. And forgiveness, which often arises because of confession, is some of the groundwork and the basics, the, the basic stuff of a good friendship Uh, John O'Neill quoted to me this week, he said uh, from a book he'd read, all friendships of any length are based on continued mutual forgiveness. All friendships of any length are based on continual mutual forgiveness. I I don't make it a secret that, you know, Claire and I have had our ups and downs in our relationship for sure. And if you've been married for very long, you may have had an up or down. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that I will recognize when I am uh, doing things that need forgiveness for, saying things that I know I'm going to need forgiveness for, but man, I can really launch into those things. And I can actually, I can see them. They're like, they're, when you're doing that stuff, when you're saying those words, when you're hurting another person, you, what you see is, or I see is I'm like, these things are so light, they're so easy to put in place, but man, they become like concrete. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay. So I just brought these. This is why I brought these in. I'm like, all right, let me say this. I'm going to say this, Claire. Take this. It's super easy for me to say. But then these things, you know, I say, and then I'm like, man, why did I say that? I shouldn't say the next. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then I said the next thing. Right? And I mean, it gets to be, you know, I don't know if I can. This may stink. Sorry. But pretty soon, you know, this huge wall of, st- oh, God, that just, um, this is like a multi-dimensional illustration. <laughs> but they're so easy to move in place. And pretty soon, you guys, if you, in any kind of relationship, you know what's happening. You've got this huge wall and it turns into solid concrete. It's like the berm in your driveway. You cannot get it out without an amazing amount of work. And you do not want to go there. You're like, call somebody in, let somebody else do it. I cannot move this stuff. I know you know what I'm talking about if you're in any relationships of any period of time. It's so easy to put in place. But it is amazing if 
All I do is climb up on top of my junk and look over and say, you know what? I did this. I'm sorry I did this. Man, it is huge. The concrete kind of melts away. And just by the step of confession, I'm not offering forgiveness yet. I may not be there, but just by confessing, by saying, I know I'm wrong. I've evaluated where I am. I know I'm wrong. Man, it melts the barriers. And I mean, God's made us for relationship. That's why he says, forgive them, Father. That's why forgiveness is so important to us. That's why he says to Peter, 70 times seven. So what I want to ask you, as those of you who are believers here, is to say this, what if the followers of Jesus that you know and the ones in this community and wherever your community is, what if the followers of Jesus were known for forgiveness? What is that? That's one of the things we are known for. Those Christians, they actually forgive each other and other people. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if that's what people said? I don't think that's what they say. But what if they did say that? What if we were known amongst ourselves for Truly appraising where we were, like knowing, yeah, I am broken. We're all messed up in here. What if we, what if we all agree? What if it's where we were? What if we came to the point where we appreciated what had been done for us to move us into a right relationship with God? What if we were known for confession, for being people who confessed to one another? Man, I think it would be incredibly powerful. This is some of the hardest space in personal relationships to move into. But Jesus is the ultimate example when he moves into that mode of forgiveness, when he's being mocked for the, for the very thing that he is doing, the very gift that he is giving. I'm going to pray that that would be who we are. God, I, I come to you with my friends here. Uh, and Lord, we, uh, we confess to you, you are good, but we are not. Lord, but you have loved us so much that you have made it possible for us to be right with you. And I thank you for that um, because of your love, even in spite of our rejection and our rebellion and continued rejection and rebellion. And Lord, I, I pray, God, we would be in touch with that. We would own it, be willing to look at the x-ray of our heart, Lord, and, uh, and then before you confess, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, confess to others, Lord, and, and move towards that place where we can forgive and, and see that kind of... Uh, rightness that is possible, the goodness that is possible. Lord, I thank you for your son and what he did when he walked up that hill. In Jesus' name himself, amen. All right, y'all have a great afternoon.